This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company, and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a 1,000 agents across the country, and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have Dr. Chris Hill, author of Walking to Jerusalem, on the line. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this interview, and I do this all the time, with sort of a loaded question, and I know it's one that you'll have uh, much to say about, but... I'll just throw it out there. Why do you think so many of us, especially Christians and the faithful, uh, struggle to trust God? Well, really, uh, the scriptures teach that without faith it's impossible to please God. And so this whole matter of faith in God is the vehicle by which we please Him. You know, And so our whole walk with God is really based on trust. Sometimes people make faith something... You know, it's not, to me, it's not just a religious dogma or some system of doctrine, uh, doctrinal beliefs, although that's a part of it. Faith is really a loving relationship with the Lord where we can believe Him for what He has said to us, what He said to us in His Word, and the promises that He has given us for our lives. And so I think, I think if that, that's the struggle, because that's what it's all about, is can you walk with God? Can you believe God? And can you trust God to bring you to your expected end? Yeah, that's a that's a really good that's a really good point. And it's human nature to question and to struggle with that. I think um, with, with uncertainty. That's why I mean, you see so many people looking for answers in, in so many different places instead of turning to God, because it seems like sometimes if you can get an immediate answer. Um, and this is an extreme example, but people will go to psychics. They'll go wherever they can go to get to try to get an answer rather than relying and trusting because they don't feel like it's it's as an immediate of a response, which is sort of fascinating to me. But true faith requires that we that we learn to do that, right? To get past that struggle and to try to and to try to trust God. Absolutely, I think one of the the, grand, the grandest things is is we walk with God. We really don't run with Him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's a walk. It's this long walk with a friend, and we're we're building trust. He does not. He's sovereign. He does not move at our pace, and uh, he's eternal. He does not move in our time, and so that requires, to, in order to walk with a being that is not like us, we have to have the conduit of faith. We have to have the conduit of trust, so that even when we don't 
we can't trace him, we can still trust him. In the book, Walking to Jerusalem, one of the things we get to see is that is we meet David in his Bethlehem, but we actually get to walk him through 12 cities of his development all the way to his Jerusalem. He gets the prophecy that he's going to be king, you know, when he's a kid, but it doesn't come to fruition until some 20-plus years later when, when uh, he actually becomes the king of all Israel. And that's, that's years of trust. That's years of faith. That's years of walking with God through ups and downs and hills and valleys and twists and turns. And I think that's why I love study, doing the study of David's life is because that really is a picture of us, is that uh, we have to walk with God, and that requires this, this gut-wrenching at times trust level to believe him that what he promised us is going to come to pass. What what made you choose David, <clears throat> you know, for walking to Jerusalem? What why was that your subject matter? What guided you towards that? Just take me through that process a little bit. Well, really, I, I you know I, I have a, a profound love for the Holy Land, and uh, and and just in in terms of one of my travels over, I really began to say, okay, let let track him. I wanted to track David through the dust of the Holy Land. And, and visit some of these key cities in his life. And as I was doing the study, I, you know, I love David. I think he's one of those characters that we have, we really have his entire life is laid before us uh, within the canon of Holy Writ. We can see um, his ups and downs, his, his ins and outs. We have him literally from his inception all the way to uh, you know, his coronation and then all the way to his his death. We have his last words. He's one of those characters in the Bible that that God really allows us to see within his life and to really get. I mean, we have him with Bathsheba. We have him uh, when there's a rape in his family. We we have him uh, when his son is trying to kill him. We have him when his child dies. He's one of those characters in the Bible that we really get to see his whole life laid before us on the pages of the Bible. And I, I just found that inspiring. As I began to do the study, I, I, I just started to see my own life. I started to see people in my congregation's life. I started to see people that I've met around the world just in terms of speaking, people that I've prayed with around the altars. I, I just started to see that maybe God had given us his life because it would give us a good picture of our own, and and if God could do something great in the life of David, it could give us the encouragement to know that God could do something great in our lives. That's a really interesting concept and an idea, because there's so many people in the Bible, especially the New Testament, where we only get glimpses of their life, or only portions of their life, right? It seems rarer to get the whole picture of somebody's life in the Bible, and it's so true about David that you really do get to see... Uh, almost all of, you know, different phases of how he develops. And, and like you said, his mistakes, his victories, I would imagine there's a lot that we can learn from that. Well, that's what, it, for me, it was it was just blessing my life. I think, you know, I'm a preacher and, and a pastor, and so I'll trip over things that, while I'm writing them for other people, I find them touching my life first. And, and I think that's really where the book started to emerge from, as I begin to share what 
I was seeing in the life of David and how it was reflecting in my own experience and, and the collective experience of people that I had been ministering to, I, I started to share that. And the response was just overwhelming. And I realized that I need to sit down and write this down so that the message can go a lot further than my voice can go and a lot further than the influence of our ministry and that, you know, someone could really be mentored through the different cities of their lives, uh, from Bethlehem, their beginning, to Gibeah, their place of exposure, uh, to, you know, Gath, living in Hell's Kitchen, all these are different stages in the life and development of David that were given in this really detailed account in the Bible of the life of this kid who became a king. That's amazing. What Now, we've talked a little bit about this, but what are some of your biggest hopes for what listeners take away from this? I'm sorry, readers take away from well, this. Well, both, really, what's so excited to be on with you today <laughs> is that I want people to be encouraged. I, I want people to, you know, our subtext for the book is discovering the divine life purpose. <laughs> I really believe that each person has a divine life purpose. I really believe that there is uh, a reason for you to be alive. There's a reason for me to be alive. And and part of this journey is to discover that life purpose and then allow God to process us as he leads us to it. Um, I, I think it's so important that people know that they're here for a reason, that there is a purpose. And I believe that we can uh, discover and, and then develop and then deploy in that divine purpose and we talk about that in, in the book, but also I want people to embrace the journey. The um, you know we're walking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the ultimate end of David. It will become the city of David, but he has to walk through all these other cities too. And I, I believe that we have to learn how to embrace that journey. Uh, one of the things we share is that I believe that every step on the way is important. Every step on the way is important. Every step on the way is is vital to us becoming what God has ordained for us to be. David has to kill Goliath. If he doesn't kill Goliath, that's in the valley of Elah. That's the city of, of Elah. If he doesn't go through Elah, he can't get to his Jerusalem because that's the place where the whole nation is going to hear about David. Um, I, I, so I really believe that we have to not only look at the end, but embrace the, what God is walking us through, even in the process, and because the process is as important as the end. I love that. Well, let me, you know, while we're talking about David's story, I have another, um, you know, I would say probably loaded question for you, but I'm going to throw it out there, and I'm always excited to hear people's personal stories. Now, how did you end up finding God, how did you end up getting into ministry? What's, what is the Reader's Digest version, or you can expand a little bit if you want, on your, on your story? Well, that, that stuff is very interesting. I'm, I began preaching before I was five years of age. Wow. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm an early, early call. Wow. I'm an early call. And so I received a call from the Lord very early. And, and uh, so it's Really, I've been walking with the Lord all my life, and uh, and but it hasn't been an easy walk. Uh, I share in the book that uh, when I was six years old, because of abuse in the home, 
physical abuse in the home. I, I ran away from home. Now, some kids run away from home, but when I run away from home, I run away from home. <laughs> and uh, I never, you know, I ran away from six. I climbed out a window and did not return uh, for four years. And mm -hmm. so I talk about living in the streets of Boston. And uh, as a six-year-old, I talk about, um, you know, scrambling for food and scrambling for money and scrambling for a place to, to sleep and, and, and just being homeless for those for that year, literally a year that we were on the streets. That's where I really met God. God became more than just a, uh, you know, a subject in a Sunday school class or uh, that, that childlike understanding of God was really shifted because I needed him as more, he was my necessary bread. I needed him. He was my life. He was my protection and my covering. And I think that that awakening and at that early age being in danger and being in fear and having to rely on the Lord to be my father and my mother and my shield and my buckler, I think that really helped me to uh, come into an understanding of who God is. And that is, you know, all these years later, that's the bedrock of, of my calling. That's the bedrock of my understanding of who he is. Um, and, and really, our ministry flows out of that. You know, we, we're, our church is six years old. We're blessed to have one of the largest food bank ministries um, in our region, you know. And that comes out of, I was hungry. I know what it is to be hungry. So, I don't want anyone to be hungry because I know what that, that feels like. Uh, you know, we have ministries for prisoners, and, and to, we minister in 10 different jails in our region. And that flows out of, if my life had turned another way, I could have been a statistic. Uh, I could have been incarcerated, but God protected me. So we want to encourage people. I think so often our power comes from our pain and, uh, you know, our suffering shows us the areas where we're set to serve in. And, and that's kind of the, 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 the strength of our calling at the Potter's House of Denver is, and it's really based and built in some of the things that we walk through and, and finding out how universal the pain is. Uh, Bishop Jake says something so powerful, which is pain is not prejudice. That, that pain is, you know, visits every man. It visits every woman. And, and once you walk through your pain, it empowers you to help somebody else with theirs. Yeah, I mean... I'm just, you know, been processing through the story you just shared. So, correct me if I'm wrong. You ran away very young, and you lived. You said for how long on the streets? I, I, I believe it was about a year. How did you survive at that age on the streets? <laughs> I, I, I talk about it in the book as well, but it was really I, I ate garbage. I hid in libraries. I slept on a on the roof of a high school. I slept in the caddy shack in, on a public golf course. I uh, ran errands for people for, for change, carried groceries from the supermarket for old ladies, um, just doing anything that I could to stay alive. I didn't have a coat. I, I didn't have a hat. And yet God allowed me never to catch cold in the Boston winters. And uh, it was really, I, God covered me. As I look back at it now, he, he covered me, he protected me. And I think that's the 
strength of my relationship with him now is, you know, people look at the, the church as big and, and it's a so-called mega church and our ministry reaches, you know, all, all over the world now. But it, that's not the, the hill that I know. The Chris that I know is the, the Chris that was sleeping, you know, hiding in the stacks of the Boston Public Library. And, and God protected me. And God was there. And if he was there with me then, I know he's here with me now. And, and, and he's here for everyone. Because I'm no, you know, he's no respected person. I'm nothing special. But his love is so incredible that he loves us all. And as a six-year-old, you were able to grasp, as a child, you were able to grasp that. And really, I mean, you talk about the possibility of being a statistic. I, I mean, living on the streets, detached from family, I mean, there's so many things that could happen to a kid. And it's fascinating to me that you were able to find your faith and embrace your faith deeper rather than go the other way and lose your faith at such a young age. Does that ever shock you now as an adult looking back at that? It never did until I wrote the book. <laughs> that is one of the greatest questions that I that I received. Is, well, why weren't you angry at God? Why didn't that drive you away? I think when you're six and you're in the streets and your dad is walked out and and your your family life is broken, all I had was the Lord. All all I had. I think that's why David spoke to me so so incredibly, you know. He's he's forgotten by his father. He's rejected by Saul. He's living in the cave of Adullam. You know, he's isolated and cut off. That's where those songs come from. I think sometimes our strongest songs are birthed in the dark places and that's where really where I I found the Lord. He was my all in all. He is my all in all, because when everything else is stripped away, he's the only thing that remains. And after that year, um, what happened? Did you reconnect with your family? What was sort of the process for you after that? It's a great story. I, I actually, I got busted. I got, I got busted at the library. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we were in the midst of the school year. And here's a six-year-old kid walking around the library with no parents. And so finally someone called the police. And, and uh, the, I wouldn't tell the police who I was. I didn't want to get my mom in trouble. And, but I, and I also didn't want to go back home. So I wouldn't tell them who I was. And uh, so they, they took me to one of the local hospitals uh, to try and, you know, really figure out who this kid is. And, and uh, which was, you know, I got to the hospital and, my God, three meals a day and color TV, you know, after a year in the streets, this was like staying at, at the Ritz, you know, so I'm not telling them the thing. I'm just eating all the jello I could get my hands on and strawberry milk while they're sending in, you know, this group of counselors and this group of people to try and break down now this seven-year-old uh, story. And eventually one day I looked up and my grandfather, for whom I'm named, um, uh, walked into walked into the the hospital ward, the children's ward, and and the, he, he shared with me that the Lord had given him a dream, and told him where I was, because no one knew where where I was, and 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 that day, you know, he I guess 
I, I don't know what they did. I was too young to know the process, but I went home with my granddad. And uh, we went home. I was I was so young, I didn't know where they lived. I, I would have run to their home if I knew how to get there. And the whole time I was in the hospital, I went back and drove uh, less than two miles away from my grandparents' home. And they, they brought us home. My sister, I have an older sister, Marie, who's 18 months older. She had already run away before I ran. But she was older, so she knew where Grandma was. And she knew where Granddad lived. And, and so I was reunited with my sister and reunited with our family and, and my aunts and uncles. And um, it, was, it was really a, a wonderful time. And, but, but, you know, as, as life would have it, um, my mother decided that she wanted us back. And so, the, you know, my father's family had really kicked in, and my aunt had me in her home, and, and my grandparents and my sister at their home, and they, they would do all our laundry together. They had really figured this thing out on how to take care of their, their you know, their brother and their son's children. But my mom went went in and and she wanted us back and she that you know was really working hard on getting herself together and and so the the court stepped in and then took us away from our families and put us in a foster home. So my sister and I went into a foster home and I was in foster care for four years. I, I mean, and I can't even I did, I write about it in the book and. And books are so wonderful because you just have the time to really say it in detail. But driving away from my grandparents' home, you know, uh, and going to live with strangers uh, and and wonderful people, not terrible people at all, but not family, not blood. I, I felt like I was finally safe. And when you have safety ripped from under you again, you know, at this point, you know, where I'm, I'm seven, I believe my sister was nine at the time, and we're, we're, we went into foster care. And so I get to talk about in the book um, discouragement, you know. Uh, I get to talk about uh, learning how to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what David had to do uh, when he was in Ziklag. That's what I had to do when we were kind of, you know, I finally made it home. It's like you're at home base, and now you're back on first base up there surrounded by strangers and not knowing. It's in those places, I believe, that God teaches you how to find encouragement in Him. Absolutely. Well, you've you've definitely lived a fascinating life, and, and you're running an amazing ministry over at Potter's House in, in Denver, and would love to have you on again. This has been great. We'll make sure we link out to Walking to Jerusalem. And it's been really insightful. I appreciate you taking the time and coming on today. Oh, man, this is so fantastic, guys. Thanks. So thankful for the opportunity to talk about the book and just to talk about God. Well, this has been great, and we will definitely have you back soon. Thank you very much, Dr. Hill. Thank you. founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house 
and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this uh, this company, he's you know he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, "If this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this?" So he started a company, and it went into business. I think three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is real estate agents. I trust.com.